Welcome to episode 14 of the Staying at Home podcast today with uh, Dr. Itai Gill, the man, the myth, the legend and uh, a really dear friend and mentor of mine. We've been knowing each other for quite a few years and still stay in touch during these crazy times that we have at the moment. And Itai, I'm so happy to have you on the show. Uh, be very, very welcome. Thank you, thank you, Simon. It's an honor for me to be on your podcast and uh, yeah, lovely. I would like to know how would you introduce yourself to people that never heard a thing about you? Well, you know, you started with saying uh, the man, the myth, the legend, but uh, I just refer to myself as a regular white guy. Um, I'll say this, that um, in Israel, everybody knows that it's mandatory to serve in the military, but uh, I went for the special forces and past selection and uh, served for quite a while. And later on, I did a transition from the military to another elite unit, uh, the counter-terror warfare team, where that's, uh, you need to go through another Hell's Week and another selection and another long-term training uh, counter-terror school. And um, that probably is the most um, elite unit in the state of Israel that takes care of all the problems very quietly, foreign and domestic, no noise, no buzz. Usually it doesn't really get any coverage on the news, but it takes out most of the heavy load of solving problems, dealing with bad guys. So whenever we get a call, we, we will come. And um, it's the 1% of 1% of the population, so you got to be smart, you got to be bright, you got to be very athletic, you got to be able to work in a team, uh, work in uh, unknown environments, all weather conditions. No one gives a damn if it uh, is cold or raining or hot in the desert. Or it needs to be done. So um, we're multi, multi-talented and multitask. Uh, I'm still involved in the reserves in the Israeli military and the commandos as a captain. Um, also involved deeply in hand-to-hand uh, -hand combat, been doing martial arts for most of my career since I'm a little boy, four or five years old, and I'm 57 now, will be 58 soon, so calculate the amount of hours and sweat and blood. Combined together, um, I think at the end of the day, probably that what makes people look at me and say, he is different. So I think just like any person that wants to be special in some field, it can be a chef with Michelin stars, it can be a medical doctor, it can be an athlete in any sport. Me, I chose the path of, I would say, getting bad guys. Protecting I thought protecting lives, I thought protecting lives saving people's lives, even though they would never know that certain actions were taken behind the scenes that impact their peace of mind every day. They can go on and keep on doing whatever they want because someone behind the scenes took care of problems. It made me feel that I'm doing something really good for humanity. And um, 
having a small impact in the cosmos. You know, some will call it God, some will call it, you know, energy or just good karma. And um, that's what I do. And uh, today I have, um, after I resigned from my service and uh, a little bit after 20, about 20 years ago, I would say, um, I have my own business, my own company, consulting, training, education, academic, online education because of the COVID-19 currently. So, um, yeah, we travel the world, train people, educate people, governments, private sector. That's what I do. And I love my job. It's, it is what it is. I just love it. It sounds like for sure it's never, never going to be boring. How long have you been in the security sector in total, like in active duty and also now uh, with your own business? Well, I would say active duty, where I was like employee of the state, um, I would probably 14, 15 years active duty. And since uh, 1997, I went on to become an entrepreneur and opened my own uh, small company where I started very small, like any other small business, training and consulting. And uh, if you calculate all the years, I think we're talking from probably the early 1981 until now, we're talking, what, 40 years? So um, if you combine everything together, you know, from different levels of protection for, from diplomatic protection, presidential security, counter-terror raids, uh, you know, covert stuff, uh, dealing with uh, hostile environments. Uh, that gave me a good perspective on the way life uh, looks. Probably many of the people on a regular daily basis, regular citizens around the world uh, don't have a clue what it looks like behind the scenes of high-end uh, personnel dealing with serious problems. Um, it is what it is, you know, it's, it's not a regular job. It was being away from home and never seeing the kids and the wife and But you know you're doing something good, so that's it. And also you're around a very special breed of men, people that get the job done. Uh, that's something else that we can uh, probably address as, as, as uh, you and I discussed in the past. Um, my PhD is in counterterrorism and defense, but my research is on um, human behavior and performance under stress. And it all comes down to the barometer. Um, you know, what do you call a bad day? So when people say, oh, I had a bad day, and I said, yeah, fuck you. What do you mean you had a bad day? Compared to what? Compared to who? What is a bad day? So everybody, you know, they have their own scale, their own barometer, and whining and complaining, they don't get it. It doesn't solve the problem. So Let's put it this way. I am very indoctrinated in that field of being in a very uncomfortable place for a very long time. And I don't complain because it taught me a lesson that complaining doesn't solve nothing. 
and uh, problems are problems and everybody needs to solve their own shit, whatever it is, family, kids, money, health. We can look at many different spectrums that make people upset, take them off balance. Uh, it is what it is. That's it. Did, do you think, um, you know, being involved in so many, probably for most people, uh, considered extreme and maybe also extremely violent situations during uh, during your service, has this made you feel numb or is it more like you are more conscious about um, reality and you got more appreciative of normal, the normal life? I will say this, that, you know, it's funny that you ask it, that people sometimes may refer to people like us that were ruthless and you don't have a heart. I actually think it's the completely opposite. Why would a normal man risk his own life to save other people? Probably he doesn't even know. Why would I put myself in harm's way? You know, bullets are flying, explosions, you know, IEDs and enemies. And why? I'll say this, that I love life. Uh, I would say that every day that I wake up in the morning, it's like, wow, what an another amazing day. What can I do with my 24 hours? And um, I'm thrilled. I just cannot wait, wait to wake up in the morning and do something amazing again. And um, I sit in the garden with my coffee um, and I look at the hummingbirds come to the flowers. And for me, it's like, wow, I'm so blessed by God. God sends birds to visit me in my garden. I see the bees, I see the insects, I see animals, I see the nature. And it's like, wow, there are so many amazing things that are surrounding us. And we just don't take a moment to look, observe, listen, smell, touch. People are just unfortunately nonstop on their phone if they don't get enough smileys or likes or they don't have Wi-Fi, they get depressed. Uh, and it goes back to the barometer is, uh, of happiness is broken because they believe they're entitled. Everything is supposed to be instant. Uh, people's resilience to cope with disappointment or failure is zero. So people, this generation is emotionally stressed out. Like you say something to somebody and they collapse. It's like, You know, and there's social media created a very soft society where you're not allowed to say anything about anybody or, or you're racist, you're a bigot, you're this, you're that, you're, you're a homophobe, you're an Islamophobe, you're like, I don't know. I mean, it is what it is. And um, society has changed dramatically, you know, since I was a child today, you know, it was okay when I was a boy to fight in the grass and wrestle or punch one each other. Like no one sued anybody. Today, just look at somebody and he doesn't like your smile, you'll get in trouble. And this COVID-19 even made it worse because people are so stressed out. Many lost their jobs, there's lockdowns, you know, people cannot socialize. So you took away the last thing that humans need, empathy. Um, Overall, I love animals a great deal. I love humanity, but there are sometimes I just don't have patience to tolerate with people that believe they're, they know everything and 
they're not even educated. So how can you educate someone who is really stupid? It's, you know, that would be a challenge, right? So like stay away from people that are negative and uh, negative attitude means you're not willing to listen to another professional opinion. So that's what we need to deal with. Yeah, I think it's it's uh, especially in today's world where, you know, in, um, I heard <laughs> stories from some universities in the st States, but I'm pretty sure they exist in Germany too, um, where like people need safe spaces from uh, hurtful uh, comments. And there was a few years back the debate about microaggressions that it's like the same as physical violence when someone makes a comment about your pair of shoes or whatever. Um, do you think people have lost touch with how good they have it and how the reality yeah, is? Yes, and yes. So if you, if you compare other generations, for example, you know, me being Jewish, um, both of my grandparents were from Polish descent. And um, those who did not escape, you know, the German occupation in Poland, during World War II, were taken to the concentration camps. And I went to visit, um, I think two years ago, 2018, I believe, I went to visit, uh, to do a little bit of a tour to explore my family roots. And I went to Maidanek, the concentration camp, for those of my, both grandparents, I from father and mother, that did not escape. Uh, they didn't believe, they didn't believe. Uh, they were taken to the camps and um, they were exterminated. So without going into all the details and everything, I'm not the only one that um, comes from a family like that. And, I mean, if you look at all the wars that happened from World War One, World War Two, and what humans do to want each other, you know, we can talk about having a bad day. You know, if you look at um, other societies and cultures, I mean, you know, you want to talk about the British, they occupied India and they did things to people in India. Uh, you want to talk about the slavery period. You want to talk about, you know, the first white Americans that came and had issues with uh, the native Indians. You want to talk about the first white people that came to Australia and did terrible things probably to the Aboriginals. Now, does it mean all humans are bad? It was done, all, everything was probably done legally. <laughs> and that's the problem. Um, I think humans, I always choose to believe that there's a lot more better humans and that will do the right thing. And that's why, you know, later on, uh, people got rid of slavery. And, uh, you know, uh, was everything perfect? The answer is bloody no. Are humans perfect species? Probably no. Uh, it's funny that my older son, Tom, that you know, uh, he joked yep. with me and he said to me, you know, um, humans are so inspired, we're a failed species. <laughs> and he said, that's why aliens refuse to come and visit us, as a joke. And I was like, yeah, sometimes we do real bad things. And, um, but I always choose to, choose to see the, the bright side and Hopefully, me as an individual, can I empower people in my surroundings to do better? 
And um, I will say that overall, the human species has thrived and survived with bumps in the road. And, you know, some will talk about diseases. And is this the only disease, COVID-19? No, there's been diseases before and humanity will bounce back. Is the vaccine the proper solution? I don't know. We'll see. Uh, I will not claim to have any medical experience, although I'm a combat medic and I have logical sense, but it doesn't qualify me to have an, a professional opinion. It can have, I can have a personal opinion. And that's a big difference as well. <laughs> but at the end of the day, I think humans have a real good life. They go to the supermarkets and um, they have everything on the shelf. In modern countries, I mean, if you go to problematic countries, you know, um, less. Um, you know, we have cars, um, we have a good life. Uh, you want to cook? I mean, oh, you got an electric stove or a gas stove and fresh water running through the tap. I've been to Africa and where you need to go to a well and carry water, you know, in a container and like, okay, well, some don't have it that good. And we have medical care, and um, I mean, you know, you're in Germany in Stuttgart, I'm in Israel, and if something happens, car accident or some disease, uh, there's an ambulance that will come and take us. And let's put it this way, overall, overall, except for really problematic third world countries, most people have relatively okay plus life. And going back to the beginning of what I said, everybody has 24 hours a day, no matter what color you are, what race you are, no one gives a damn about whatever religion you want to believe in. You got 24 hours, a God-given gift. What did you do with your 24 hours to make your life a little bit better? So there are miraculous stories where you can hear people that came from real problematic, very poor societies and cultures, and they thrived and they made a great life for themselves and their families and the impacted people. And then there's people that come from a good society, well-off background, and if they didn't succeed because they were snowflakes and they blame everybody else, and there's a lot of theories called the blame game where people, everything that happens to them choose to blame others. It can be relationships, health. It's like I know people that are fat, obese, and they say, oh, uh, it's McDonald's, they gave me shit food. And I say, excuse me, no one put a gun to your head to go and eat six burgers every day at McDonald's and Doritos and fries. Be fries and shit, you know, sauces with full of sugar. What's wrong with just eating clean food and exercising every day? So blaming someone you're not healthy or whatever it is, because society made that, of course. There's companies that thrive from giving you junk food and they'll make a fortune and then, oh, then you're sick and you need to get medication from pharmaceutical companies that, you know, I mean, do I want to blame the pharmaceutical companies? I think the people are responsible for what they put in their mouth, right? Yep. <laughs> I mean, you don't need to eat donuts. I mean, it's on the shelf if you want to eat it, but you don't have to. So I choose not to and therefore... I got very strong will and opinion about what's good for my body. It's just like putting real bad oil and bad gas in your vehicle versus real good fuel and energy in your body. So everybody's got the liberty instead of blaming anybody else, 
And it all comes back again to resilience and mental hardiness and grit. So me being in the service, being where I've been, I learned, was trained, and trained myself and trained my children, coach them, guide them, mentor them to make the right choices and stop blaming everything around you, but take responsibility for whatever happens to you, good day, bad day, no big deal, bounce back, recover. It's another bump in the road. It's, it's completely normal, and it's the way we cope with it. You know, I disagree with my wife a couple of times a week, and that's fine, but I don't beat her up. And we still love each other. We, we still get along. It's okay to disagree. I disagree with my children. That's fine, too. Yeah, let's have an open discussion about it. It's the way you deal with the information in front of you. And it's okay to accept other people's opinion, even though you may disagree. So that's fine. It's part of the deal. It's part of what humans. One will say, this medical solution is the best for that problem. And the other guy will say, no, 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 you need to do that medical. How many doctors and nurses are talking about the pandemic right now that have different medical opinions? Lockdown, open, Sweden did one thing. Germany does another thing. You agree? Here you go. I'm sure different experts in virology have different opinions about the disease. Does it mean they're bad people? No, it's an opinion. So here we go. It's, uh, it all comes down to that. Can we cope with it? Do you think um, I'm trying to transition into more into the topic of uh, your your uh, you know service in the special forces? But I think for uh, the audience, I think it's important to to understand a little bit more clear. Um, so we understand, you know, how you how you think so far, you know, that you are a person that is has a very positive attitude towards life and that you believe in debate and a, a very civil uh, way of living. Um, why are people of your profession necessary? Why can't we just send social worker to the bad social workers to the bad guys and uh, talk to them and hug them and uh, make them a valuable part of society? Why is it necessary to have people um, to you know ad address the situation in a militaristic approach? I think it's very uh, important to establish that before we you know talk further about service. Well, let me be honest. If we want to talk about the modern world with all the embracing and hugging of all people from different societies, not all societies see eye to eye with everybody. Now, a large portion of my business is based on counterterrorism and defense. I actually am now running right, a course right now related to public safety and risk assessment analyst for a group of guys, ex-military and private security sector in the U.S. online with Zoom. And uh, you're raising a real interesting and delicate question. So let's just simulate certain things that happened worldwide. I'm just talking about things that happened. It's not necessarily just a personal opinion, I'm talking about facts that happen. So, for example, let's talk about attacks on religious places. Okay, just for the sake of the argument. So when I look at a white anarchist that launched a campaign to attack Muslims in a mosque in Christchurch in New Zealand, 
that's an act of terrorism. So you have a guy that disagrees with, with Muslims on whatever grounds it is, and he decided to be, you know, the judge and say, I'm going to go and kill Muslims in a mosque in Christchurch in New Zealand. He managed to take, it, it was streamed online, he put on some type of webcam on his body and he recorded it, and it was a huge tragedy. And people asked my opinion about it. I said, well, listen, he's, uh, he's a terrorist. I don't care about the color or the pigment of his skin and what faith he has. He's an idiot. And um, in certain countries, he would be executed for it. In New Zealand, probably, there's no execution penalty. He'll go to prison. Uh, now, let's take the other spectrum. Let's talk about active shooters in the United States. Uh, where people come into a school and start shooting on each other, or you have just a while ago, I think, what was it, three weeks, a month ago, um, a Muslim terrorist took a rifle and the liberty to go and shoot people in a, in, a, in, a, in a synagogue in Austria, in Vienna, am I right? Yeah. And um, you ask yourself, what motivates someone to want to do that kind of thing? And now, because everybody's entitled to have an opinion and everybody's okay to say, I disagree with the Jews, I disagree with the Christians, I disagree with the Muslims. Um, you know, if you look at the American Constitution, it says uh, the freedom of speech and the freedom of religion, if I'm correct. And it's okay. I don't mind any Muslim or any Christian or any other religion, Buddha or, you know, I, I can't, I just don't care. They don't bother me as long as they don't have some type of sick pathological ideology that believes somebody gave them an authority or a power to go and kill other innocent people because they disagree on a certain angle. That's when you need guys to go and solve problems if we like it or not. Now, there's been assassinations on presidents, on politicians, because they have different opinions. So these guys, by law, have diplomatic protection, right? All of them have security armed guards. So if you're a prime minister or a president of a certain country, you've been elected, if we like it or not, and I may disagree on a certain opinion, you still have the armed security, those armed security are usually Secret Service ex-military, and you asked about why do we need? Well, society created an environment where we need people to take desperate, you know, desperate actions and extreme measures to solve desperate, desperate uh, opinions. So if you have a guy that disagrees on a certain politician and he wants to come and get him with a gun or a knife, you probably need very highly trained people that can solve problems, and you probably would not hire a snowflake to do that kind of job because it is what it is. Now, by the way, saying that, guys like me are from the same industry or similar as around the world, even protect people that have a snowflake opinion that I completely disagree on, and they whine and complain, we still will protect them. Because the law says so, and it's the right thing to do anyway. But if you have an opinion that beyond your words, or your words will influence people to go and kill, so when you have a radical Muslim speaking in a mosque, 
and he's praising jihadi terrorists to go and kill people in Betaclan at a concert in Paris. And I can give you hundreds of cases where radical Muslim sheiks speak, you know, in, in, in a mosque in the UK and it says it's okay to behead people and that's okay. And what ISIS is doing is praised and it's okay. That is sick and they need to be dealt with. So yeah, you have guys from different agencies that will find you and deal with you. And, and that's what it's all about. It's not about like or not like. It's about doing the right thing. Do I like doing it? I'm not sure, but it needs to be done. You know, I mean, you may have medical surgeons and that deal in trauma and, you know, uh, in the hospital. Sometimes they do a great surgery and the patient dies. Do they like the outcome? No. What can you do? We don't always get the perfect solution and the perfect result for everything, but the idea is to understand, are we doing the best? Are we doing the best to protect society, if there is such a word, democracy, or freedom of opinions and freedom of thoughts and freedom of speech and freedoms of uh, you know, religion? Like I said, I never gave a damn about no one's skin color. And, uh, I hope most humans uh, can relate to what I'm saying. I have friends that are Iranian descent. They're fine. But when you listen to the Ayatollahs in, uh, in Iran and they say they want to eliminate Israel off the map of the world, that's a little bit extreme for me. So we need to be vigilant. We need to be careful, right? If you have terrorists that you remember by yourself, you know, you're, you're, you're in Germany right now. You remember, what was it, 2016 in Christmas? Yeah. There was a terror attack with a, ve with a vehicle that rammed into people and killed many innocent people in a Christmas, right? Because a Muslim disagrees with someone's Christmas. And by the way, saying the word Christmas in some countries offends Muslims, right? I mean, that's exactly what I'm trying to say now. Are we supposed to tolerate it? Are we supposed to become a weak society that says, oh, I accept his opinion, but my opinion is not? No. You want to have, you know, your, your Ramadan? Fine. We want to have our Christmas? Fine. Jews want to have Hanukkah? Fine. Why do you give a shit? It's none of your goddamn business. So that's exactly what I'm Ramadan. That's where I, that's where I stand. Yeah, and I, I think... Uh, bringing up the holidays and the different holidays is um, for me something that um, I was fortunate fortunate enough to um, experience since you know I used to live in Jerusalem for around about I think about two years or something around 2013 2014 yeah. and um, you know people do not understand um, celebrations like Shabbat or Sukkot or anything until they're invited. I think a lot of the, the conflicts between people is not really knowing what other cultures or other, um, you know, other people are doing and what, you know, it means to them. And that makes people be mis misunderstood uh, quite tremendously of not understanding the reality and the nature of people of the other side of the fence or other side of the border or even like uh, your own your own neighbor if you don't understand their perspective. 
isn't what you know for many Europeans or Americans or in general you know people from outside of Israel um, what people don't understand is I think by now the Israelis and the Arabs that, you know, the narrative says is the most complicated and biggest uh, conflict in the Middle East. And, you know, all of the um, legacy news headlines that are about this, you live close enough to technically know each other's reality, right? It's a super small country. You can literally drive from border to border within maybe 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. So why do you think... um, this conflict is uh, going on for for so long and it's not like people do not want peace. Well, you're, raising, you're raising a very interesting question, you know, and I'm not a politician. And again, <clears throat> me being a former member of the forces, still an active in the, some of the environments here in Israel, and a PhD in counter-terror and defense. So my personal opinion, that's what I want to say. I'll focus on my personal opinion. So um, talking about peace, negotiating, reaching agreements, finding finding common grounds. That is probably the magical key word. Now, if you just look what happened now during the Trump presidency with Benjamin Netanyahu, our prime minister, For the first time in quite a long, long time that everybody always said never possible. You know, even there was somewhere on social media, John Kerry, the former head of state in the U.S. during the Obama administration, he said the Muslims will never come to peace agreement with the Israeli nation. It's public. And here we are in matter of a very short period after the UAE, the Emirates, the Gulf countries, Morocco, and other neighbor countries are coming into peace agreements with Israel. Israel, the Jews, do not have to give up any of their land to achieve it. So the so-called neighbors that call themselves Palestinians are upset. I can understand them. But again, I'm not a historian, but I'll say this, that they claim, you know, Jerusalem belongs to them and they're against the the Jewish state. So um, I'm not going to go deep into history and say who's right and who's wrong. I'll leave that to the historians and the politicians. But I'll say this. They were offered in the past several times some type of peace agreement even way before Benjamin Netanyahu was in in office. And it never worked out. Even during the period of Yasser Arafat, they never reached common grounds. During the Camp David, Egypt and Jordan did accept terms and conditions. And here we are. Do we love each other uh, to death? No, but we're not in war. And not not being in war is already a huge achievement because no one's shooting at one each other. And again, there are diplomatic disagreement sometimes, but I would say we're in peace. Israelis can go and visit Cairo, and people from Cairo are more than welcome to come to the old city in Jerusalem if they want to come and visit. They get a visa or something. Same with Jordanians. 
I was in Jordan. It's like, yeah, it's okay. And now there's already Israelis traveling to the UAE, to Dubai. And uh, wow, you never thought that would happen. Not in my lifetime. So I do think everything is negotiable. And I think the Americans in this case intervened in a positive way where everyone came to logical senses that Israel is not the bad guy in this case. Let's put all the religion aside and talk about what can we do together? Economy, finance, business, development, science, medical, culture. And of course, I'm not pleased to say it, but those countries have issues with the Iranian regime. And um, everybody fears this kind of radical Islamic Ayatollah behavior. So everybody's saying, wait a second, wait a second, is it really the Jews or the Israelis? Are we really depressing someone and when people say we're an apartheid country? No, we're not. You were here by yourself. We even discussed it a long time ago. Our Supreme Court has Muslim judges on the yep. bench. There's police officers, there's military officers in the service that are Muslim. It's not true. So it's okay to say BDS, let's ban, let's do this, let's do that against the state of Israel because they're, uh, they hate. I completely disagree. I think we're one of the most tolerant societies on the planet. Um, but again, propaganda, social media can say whatever they want. So if you say a lie enough times, people may believe it. So I think it's really easy to brainstorm a young society to talk nonsense and make them believe something that's completely false. And um, that's what society is all about. I can convince someone who is soft, that doesn't have a strong spine and an opinion of his own, and he's not doing enough research, he'll just swallow the bait and say, the Jews are this, that culture is that way, this person is that way, and so and so. So again, what I told you is my opinion, I believe I'm educated enough to have an opinion, but it's okay. I'm accepting people that wish to disagree with my opinion too. If they want to have an open discussion about it, that's fine. But here we are. We made peace with, what, three, four countries in the last couple of months? Surprising. And here you go. It is possible to accept other people if you're, if you're open. I don't say I agree with everything, but at least we're not shooting on each other. Isn't that a great achievement already? Now, if I may say one other thing that years ago I was involved with an Iranian, Iranian German scholar, and we were talking about this subject, I think eight, ten years ago, about how do we change someone's opinion to be tolerant. I'm not saying always agree, but to be tolerant. So we devised some type of educational program that was called Peace and Tolerance Studies, that we can uh, incorporate into kindergartens. You see, little children do not learn how to hate someone's color. So if you put someone that the pigment of his skin is white with the pigment of someone's skin that is dark, black and white, or Muslim and re religion from a Muslim family and a Jewish family and a Christian family in the same kindergarten at age three, four, five, 
these little children are not infected yes, yet by negative opinions to hate another religion or color. Do you agree with my theory? They're, they're not suspicious or they don't have um, hate in their DNA embedded yet. Do you believe what I'm saying is honest enough? What do you say, Simon? Um, I, I I really think you can see it with with kids um, very very clearly. Like they are able to you know get upset or not like you if they don't like. I think today you would say uh, don't like your vibe, your energy, you know, or they don't know you. They uh, start crying or something, but that's just a natural um, response. But I've never seen a child hate someone without being in a way taught to do so like exactly it's, so it's, I, believe, I believe we're born naturally with love and compassion but we're taught to hate so i thought just like we bring when my kids were little and they were in the kindergarten they were doing enrichment courses where they brought reptiles and rabbits and turtles to talk about biology and animal species. And I thought, wow, wouldn't it be beautiful to bring scholars, educators, with some type of game and play in joyful way to find a solution to talk about different cultures. So you showed videos and rituals that people do in India. Oh, wow, that's interesting. And if you showed certain rituals and cultures in Africa, wow, that would be beautiful. Oh, by the way, talk about their religion. Talk about their prayers. Talk about, you know, whatever it is. Talk about Muslim faith. Talk about Christian faith. Talk about monks, you know, or Buddhists or whatever. And I thought if it was done with a very joyful way of game and showing videos of different people from different countries because when you're little I'm not sure your family takes you to travel in all those countries <clears throat> if you bumped into someone from that country with that skin color with that belief and that religion he wouldn't look very bizarre to you and you would be able to accept him easy and you would say oh wow in my background I remember someone from India that wears that kind of strange cloth on his head. But it would be acceptable. I wouldn't ridicule it. You see what I'm saying? If I saw a Jew with a yarmulke on his head, it would look, oh, that's from the Israeli, the Jewish. That's fine. So you would be accustomed. If you saw a Muslim wearing a certain gown or clothes, you would say, oh, that's, you see where I'm going with this? It would appear to be normal. But we sometimes are educated not to accept different. And that's why we learn to hate and we behave like idiots. And then those who take it to the extreme, it can be white, it can be Muslim, it can be anybody. That's when you have terrorism. Terrorism doesn't have a color, by the way. When I'm saying the word terrorism, in the first line I said, the white guy that killed Muslims in Christchurch mosque, that's active terrorism. And then you have Muslims that do the same to other people. So it's talking about radical behavior. It's not specifically 
pointing out a certain race or religion. That's it. Is there a, a mission or operation you uh, are you can share with us that um, you look back, you remember, and you know you saw a real impact um, for on a bigger scale? Like let's say um, some sort of uh, mission that, uh, as you said, helped a lot of people that were never really aware of it. Are you? able to share like one of your stories uh, from your service with us? Well, <clears throat> I can only talk about things that were public. <clears throat> so let me, let me try to figure out if there's anything that I can talk about. Yeah. Well, I think I think it was 1988. I was involved in um, not me alone. Of course, it's not James Bond, right? We're talking about an operation where we had a a bus that was taken hostage by three radical Muslim terrorists with um, I think around 50 passengers. Um, most of them female. And uh, they threatened to blow up the bus. They threatened they had a device to blow up the bus with all the inhabitants on it. And um, there's even a photo of it uh, on the newspaper. I can find a photo of it. So. Um, The unit was dispatched. It happened in the south of Israel. Uh, the commander of the unit at the time was um, Major General Ali Kron. <coughs> Sorry, Simon. <coughs> And um, there was uh, a negotiation going on. And um, when they didn't get what they want, they started executing the passengers, so we were left with no choice, and um, snipers and the team stormed the bus and uh, killed all three terrorists. And, um, you know, when you think about it, it was a very successful operation. I would say there was, I don't remember the exact how many casualties, I think two or three casualties out of more than 50 passengers. So. You know, you measure the success on how many lives you save. Of course, you know, there's casualties, you know, it's a, it's a tragedy, but it is what it is. You know, you try to minimize damage. So being involved in things like this or similar ones um, makes you feel, I would say, proud. You manage to save many, many people's life. And it impacts them directly in their families. You see, the thing is that to make you understand the Israeli philosophy, and I'll go into it in a second. Um, the Israeli philosophy is after the Holocaust, right? Israel went through some 
serious, tough challenges. And um, if you remember the Munich Olympics, right? Where Israeli athletes were killed in Germany, right? Remember yeah. that, right? Munich. And Golda Meir was the Prime Minister of Israel. And um, Israel offered back in the day to send our Israeli military forces uh, to save the hostages. And of course, Germans said no, nor other military forces will come on uh, German soil. And, and the Germans said they will do their best, but of course, they did nothing or whatever they tried ended up in a tragedy and all of our Israeli athletes perished in that uh, tragic event. Going on later, um, we had Air France that was hijacked and landed in uh, Uganda, the Antebe raid. Remember that? Yeah, with the aircraft. Yeah, 103 hostages. My direct boss, General Ron, was uh, a young lieutenant back in the day. So he was in uh, the Antebe raid. So talking about mentality, training, believing in God, talking about resilience, I'll say one thing that I believe inspires all humans, that um, Israeli special forces in the counter-terror team, no matter where you are, if you're in trouble, we will come for you. And I'm not sure all nations can pull off that kind of attitude, like I just said now. And we will come for anybody, anywhere, to come and save them because the Israeli nation, the Jewish nation, has no one else to do it for us. Does it make sense what I'm saying? Absolutely, yeah. So we said, we said, and after Golda Meir said, and after the Holocaust, never again. I think the Israelis and the Jews are done taking shit. And I think this should be an inspiration for all other nations where would you go and save your own fellow friends, citizens? So if Simon was taken by force by ISIS, would the Germans go and save you? I don't know. I honestly do not know. Or you're just going to become another statistic. Do you see what I'm saying? Absolutely. I think um, you bringing up the Munich incident um, answers the question um, earlier, you know, like, why do we need uh, special, uh, special forces? Well, that's and what I'm saying. I mean, you know, you're a citizen of your own country. You have liberties and rights and duties. Will German forces, GSG-9, will come and get you if you were taken by whatever country in a foreign country, taken by force, you know? Uh, will your prime minister or chancellor Markel will command, go and get Simon. You know what? I am not sure it will be done. But on the other hand, Israel, 
99% will come and get you. 99%. Doesn't matter how big the risk is. Making you understand how big the risk is. So um, I think that puts us in a very high level of ethics and morals. And it's okay if someone listens to this uh, interview later on and disagrees with the ethics and morals, but that's okay. I can live with that. Yeah, I think uh, to circle one one more, more time back to to the Munich story. From what I understand, wasn't it that Germany didn't have special forces back then, and after that incident, the GSG nine were founded because yes, yes, uh, they learned that sometimes you need people to do uh, bad stuff to bad people to save good people or innocent people in a way. Yes, of course. Yes, of course. I agree on that. Uh, back in the day, if I recall, I hope I'm not making a mistake. There were some sharpshooters, but the rifles were not accessible immediately. And it would take a long time to go and get the rifles. And there was not enough trained people. <clears throat> and the negotiation didn't go so well. And the time was ticking and they didn't get what they demanded. And, um, We all know the results in the end of the tragic event. And it's a stain on humanity. You know, I mean, what can I say, you know? But that's a lesson to be taught that you need to take care of your own people and uh, defend your own rights and yourself in case no one else can defend you. So that's why you and I are having this delicate, uncomfortable discussion, but it's the truth. Yeah, I, I think, um, I don't know if I ever told you, like in 2015, 20, 2016, I went with uh, one of my best friends, uh, Dylan, who also was on this podcast a few weeks ago. We went to Iraq together to Mosul, uh, right to the front line with the Peshmerga and uh, Iraqi security forces. Yeah. Um, because for me as a German citizen, I never really understood war. War is such a big part of a history and all the atrocities that Germany has done to the world, especially also to the Jewish people. And I never, till today, I'm not capable to understand the scale of pain and evil that this time has caused. Um, but I had to go to see a conflict myself because we grew up so sheltered so protected so isolated from the this nature of problems especially in uh in germany post uh, even post ddr post soviet germany right i've yeah. been one of the first babies after the reunification so yeah. like the re germany was one country only for like two or three weeks when i was born yes um And it has been such an intense experience for me to see, like we were literally maybe, let it be 300 meters, if not 200 meters from Daesh, from ISIS. Um, this was a few months before uh, they took back the city the Iraqi forces. So it still was like maybe 20, 30 kilometers from Mosul. Um, but 
I have seen the the troops there and the sheer sheer chaos and we've been to towns that still you know had mines and um it looked like probably were taken over by the iraqis a week before we arrived or something like they haven't really cleaned up the battlefield let's say that um but this gave me a really or what i believe to understand a real perspective on the nature of war and you know how what it does to people and why you know this this impacts um even us countries so so far away from from iraq germany is not really a neighboring country to something like this right um but do you think people should learn more about armed conflicts and expose themselves to the um ugly reality of it or do you think it's better that most people uh don't know because maybe some are not even capable to to deal with the very very watered down version of what you see in the news well you know you're you're asking a very interesting question i do believe that the majority of society is not really interested in learning any kind of history You know, if you want to go back to the Roman empires or even, you know, Greek history and, you know, you want to talk about the early days of conflicts, I think from the first man, you know, in the Bible, you know, there was conflicts. It is what it is. And um, I do think it's very important to understand um the reasons and what war does and is there any winners at the end of the day in a conflict? I think there's a lot of casualties on both sides. Um, are, am I happy about it? The answer is no. Nobody needs it, but sometimes it's probably necessary. And there are many dark forces and really bad influence sources around the world that try to trigger certain political moves and agendas that create one country that gives it a liberty to go in by force into another country and so on. And this has been seen forever. You know, land, resources, water, politics, money. Some of the wars in the modern war today are not war you think are just bullets. It can be trade, it can be cyber. Eh, listen, and it's never going to go away. But it's interesting to, that you asked it because it's really important for people to understand the history of why. I think, you know, on the planet there's nine and a half billion people estimated and it's difficult to make everyone happy. It's just the way it is. And there's always going to be issues and every country fights for its own liberties and what they believe is liberty. And, and I mean, if you look at what's going on in China, uh, is China, you know, uh, treating its civilians the way you and I believe in a modern free world? Probably the answer is no. Is Iran doing the right thing for the Iranian people? The answer is no. Uh, is it possible to change what's going on in African countries? 
Is it possible to defeat corruption and greed? Uh, you know, it's difficult. I think if every human wakes up in the morning and tries to do something good, you know, love, hug, kiss, hug their kids, just be positive, try to impact other people around them, maybe, maybe. And I choose to believe, by the way, that there's a lot more good people on the planet than bad people on the planet. That's always my philosophy. That, um... But again, sometimes we need to deal with problems. And war is one of them, unfortunately. So it's maybe not physical war like you went to see in Iraq, but there's a lot of hidden forces behind the scenes that are political, cyber, currency, and um, influential people that want to take advantage of their power position they're in. That's it. Well, there's so much, uh, so much more that I want to ask you, and so much more that uh, uh, I have on my mind. But I think uh, my big takeaway from from the past hour is really. Um, I mean, it's not the first time we talk about these topics and it's still not the first time that we uh, have been have been talking in the last, uh, I think it has now been seven years that we know each other. Um, but it's always refreshing and inspiring to, to see that, um, you know, as you said, sitting, uh, that's someone that is able to carry out so intense and so important and so stressful, uh, operations and loves to sip his coffee in his garden and watching birds fly through it. Um, which for me is a big takeaway about, uh, you know, as, as you mentioned earlier, resilience and appreciation. And it's certainly a rea reality check for me myself to, um, be aware of what we currently uh, in the year 2020 describe as major crisis is um, at least for most of the population that haven't been affected with their health in a severe way it's really a luxury crisis right we are not really um, most of us have a roof over their head most of us have um, um, you know, still, um, as in comparison, a comfortable life, but these things have been only made possible, f f uh, through other people making sacrifices and putting themselves on the line, um, as you know, not only as a member of special forces, but also as a politician, as, uh, any kind of profession that involves serving to people, uh, for the greater good. And, yeah, for me, it was uh, absolutely fascinating to catch up with you and um, talk about these things. Um, I have one last question for you, if, okay, if that's all right. Go ahead. Um, I think it was two years ago um, or yeah. Yeah, about two years ago when you have been to Texas uh, for some business. And I... 
uh, I saw a video of you hanging out with uh, another uh, very legendary person, which is uh, Chuck Norris. How did that happen? Um, because obviously everyone knows his name and it has uh, been uh, through all the jokes and everything uh, is a name that everyone knows. How did you end up on that ranch? Well, it was really interesting. So apparently, like you mentioned, I went there for some work and some business and uh, talking to people as an expert on border protection between uh, Mexico and Texas to some law enforcement people and then some private training for security. And you mentioned Krav Maga, hand-to-hand combat training for some specialists and um I think one of the guys that came to the training, um, I believe he was from Florida, by the way, and he, um, when he heard from rumors that I'm coming, he reached out to me and said, oh, Mr. Bill, you're coming to Texas, can you organize some training? And I would love to come. And I said, how did you find me? How do you know that I'm coming to Texas? I didn't say anything public. And he said, well, friends that heard that you're coming mentioned your name to me and I've been following you for a long time. Like, oh, wow, that's beautiful. So just the word got around um, that some of the people that heard of my name probably know Mr. Chuck Norris in person from the world of martial arts or self-defense. And um, he got to hear of the rumor. And um, according to Mr. Norris, um, he had me checked out because someone mentioned there, listen, there was this high-end Israeli guy coming here for some training. You should reach out to him and talk to him. So. Apparently, when I came to Chuck Norris's house, his wife, um, very nice lady as well, she reached out to me, and um, Mr. Norris is a good, faithful Christian. He, uh, he met in the past the Prime Minister of um, Israel, Benjamin Netanyahu, and so they know each other close up. So he wanted to make sure his wife claims, I don't know if it's true or not, but I do believe, she said, we wanted to validate if you're legit. So we called the prime minister's office to have you checked out. They said, you are. So that's when things got really interesting. So I was in a shopping center taking a coffee and I got a phone call from an unidentified phone number and I answered and and Mr. Norris was on the line and um, he uh, said, Am I speaking to Mr. Itai Gill? He didn't pronounce the name right, and I said yes. And he said, well, this is Chuck Norris. And I looked left and right. I thought there was a hidden camera somewhere, <laughs> you know, bluffing, right? So, um, and I almost answered it, yeah, I'm Bruce Lee, right? And um, <laughs> so it just turned out, he said, well, I want to invite you to my house. I heard uh, you're in touch with these people, this group of people. I know them. Can I invite you? So he invited me to his private home. And um, back back at the time, I was involved a little bit in doing something with a little bit movie action fighting. Um, so um, 
he invited us and he wanted to see what I teach and what I do because he's a big fan of, you know, fighting and martial arts and sports and stuff. Great character, really humble, you know, no ego, no, you won't believe it. And um, he was an inspiration to many, many in his young days when he was involved, you know, big time in the movies, you know, and um, he's the guy who fought Bruce Lee and he invited me to his home. So we're like, wow, what an inspiration. He invites me to his house. And um, it was lovely. It was like we bonded well. It was great. We stayed there for a long day and had a, a late um, lunch. And he took us on one of his um, one of those four wheel drive quads around his uh, his land. He has a huge piece of land. I don't remember how many hectares, but horses, animals, and like a lake. Beautiful. And it was inspiring. I was honored and it was beautiful. And I thought when we posted that video, it reached out to a lot of people like, Utah, how did you get to meet Chuck Norris? And it was like, I don't know. I just got a call. It was like, God, karma, put us together. I don't know. And it was funny, but it was really a joyful day. So that's an, uh, yeah, that's, um, that was an interesting highlight for, for that day. It was interesting. Fantastic. Thank you so much for, for sharing this. If you, the audience members, the listeners of this, of this podcast want to learn more about Itai, I totally can recommend to check him out on his website, on Instagram. Uh, it will be linked uh, to this episode. So whichever podcast uh, streaming app you're using, yeah, you we, just we, tap we on it. You can go on my website on, uh, on any place. And just if people want to reach out to me in person through Messenger, there's a mobile phone number on the website that uh, if people reach out, if it's education or training or security solutions of any kind, uh, yeah, they're more than welcome to have my advice. The website is protect.college. Um, protect.com. Super easy yeah. to, to remember. And there you find all, uh, all information about today's guest. And Itai, one more time, thank you so much for dedicating the time. Thank you for having um, me. It's an honor. Thank you, thank you. We definitely should do this again. I know you're an extremely busy person, but uh, you know there's a new year around the corner, and maybe we can meet in uh, Jerusalem yeah, for a coffee. We can do another chat at some point. You know, I'm always uh, believing that if things happen, it's going to Fantastic. Uh, say hi to Tom from me. I will. Um, when you when you talk to him next time, <laughs> and uh, yeah, have a wonderful week. And uh, once again, thank you so much for being here and enjoy uh, enjoy your Hanukkah holidays. Yes, thank you, thank you, Simon. And one last thing for the audience. Uh, Hug your family as much as possible. And um, yeah, enjoy nature. Do something good for the soul. So uh, that's good for the immune system. We'll be happy. So uh, thank you, Simon, and uh, we'll touch base soon. Thank you, thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.